going on, everybody? Chris Starr back again with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. And another me Saturday, Chris Starr Saturday, where I just BS about whatever I want to talk about. So in the interest of what's coming up, the Wildlife Command Center origin story, we're before that, we're going to go today into my origin story, at least with within the company. <laughs> my origin story into adult life. So as many of you know, or if you're just learning, I right after high school, within two weeks of graduation, I was like, get me out of here. I'm joining the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force, was in the Air Force for a few years, and met Michael while I was in at Barksdale Air Force Base at an air show. I was walking around and I saw a tent. You know, they have a bunch of pop-up stands and stuff. And so underneath one of the little tent things was guys with hawks. And I'm like, hey, I know what those are. Let me go talk to those guys. And sure enough, a couple of falconers, Michael and his son, Chance, who was just a little teeny bopper at the time. He was real small and had a little crackly voice. Now that's like my guy. One of the very few people I would take a legitimate bullet for. So they were there and we struck up a conversation and we talked for like hours before I had to leave. Next year, Airshow comes back around. Sure enough, they're there again, showing off their birds. They've got like their company logos out. I think they were tenacious avian predators back then. Talked again. Then the year after that were the government shutdowns. And so they canceled the Airshow. We still flew all of those planes blowing freaking hundreds of thousands of dollars of smoke out of the back of those engines, those pieces of crap B-52s. But, you know, it's the way she goes. Planes gotta fly, baby. Even though we can't afford toilet paper on base, we have to send these 50-year-old jets up into the air over and over again for days on end, even though we haven't used them in a war in decades. No big deal. Anyway, shortly after that, I separated And so one of my friends at the time was like, hey, I have this friend, or I knew who he was. She says, you know, Michael Baran, he runs a a wildlife company. You should see if he needs any help. And sure enough, he did. So we got in touch with each other. And then shortly after that, I met up with him one morning. Oh, man. June 6th, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was my first day ever, June 6th. And then we went on some snake journeys together. First, actually, the very first job we did was a mole job. And then we went to this place, Chemtrade, which you're here about, where I caught some snakes. We set up some beaver traps. And then I think after that, we did like a squirrel, a squirrel job. Yeah, I'm pretty sure a squirrel job. And then like some armadillos. So over the next few months, I kind of learned the ins and the outs of the business Michael taught me basically the big, kind of like our big money, (laughs) money maker, wasn't even hardly any money at the time, was squirrels down in Shreveport and armadillos for the most part. Uh, And oddly enough, you know, we caught a heck of a lot of raccoons. I mean, Louisiana basically has everything you could possibly want. As far as animals are concerned, I got it all. So then let me see. There was a large contract that Michael ended up doing in freaking Omaha, Nebraska. So this dude was like, all right, you tiny infant man child. That's me. He's talking about me. I'm going to leave you with the company. 
you know, just running around doing trap checks and new setups and stuff like that. And this would be my first time as a solo operator, so to speak. You know, he was up on a lift, like a 69 foot lift, like all day, every day for like three months or something like that. So he couldn't really handle the phone calls or anything like that. I think Bonnie, maybe I did. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, we separated. We took our separate ways and he went to freaking the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. And I was in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana. So I took the reins of the company under Bonnie's stern wagging finger because I was just a freaking 20 whatever year old mook. 21, maybe 22 maximum at the time. So I did my best. You know what I mean? And then, so Michael finished that job a couple months later, and then eventually we saw fit to open the Dallas location. And you'll hear more about this Monday, this coming Monday episode. So when I was in Dallas for about a year, you know, that's when this crazy event happens, which you'll hear about on the next pod. But that's like where I became a man. Became a halfway decent falconer. That's for sure. That's definitely a part of my journey. Got my first Harris Hawk Scarlet. What a bad, what a bad beach. She was so awesome. We we caught so much stuff, you know. And that's when I got Goten. I got him in Louisiana when I still live there. But he came into his own in that uh, third season of mine in Texas. So we were out catching our ever-loving behinds off, just cottontails on cottontails. Oh, and fox squirrels. You know, I actually hawked quite a few fox squirrels while I was there. I had such a good time doing that. And then this one time she got frostbite, and then she lost her outer toes, and Michael had to rehab her. And then we swapped birds for like a month or something while he rehabbed her on this uh, job down in New Orleans. Maybe? Then I swapped. So she, so yeah, Scarlet was like an extra thicky thick girl shawty had a big old booty so then when i got this other bird of michael's she was a lot smaller probably flew and so a scarlet flew at like 10 50 1100 and this bird flew in like the mid 800s damn boy anyway we caught she actually caught more squirrels in the that short amount of time than scarlet did you know in a similar amount of time probably because she was a smaller bird and so in the forest she has the ability to maneuver between the trees and also can flap her wings at a, a higher pace than a big old giant bird scarlet definitely caught oh no she didn't oh, oh sad face for a second i was going to say caught her fair share of Jackrabbits, but she only caught one. Oh, I'll tell you about that. So I took a trip to Albuquerque, New Mexico and fly our birds. And fortunately, Scarlet caught a jackrabbit. Now the next day, she flew up to a telephone pole and following another bird. The first bird flew up, got zapped. Then she was right behind it, got zapped. Like two birds, just boom, boom, dead. One right after another. It's freaking rough, man. The other bird was a dude who was flying. It wasn't even his bird. It was like a bird on loan. Just to f- borrowed to him just to fly it. Man, that sucked. Pretty hardcore. Anyway, shortly after that time is uh, when we moved our business to St. Louis. So then shortly after that is when I got Satsuki. You know, my life kind of goes in these hums and drolls of the birds that I have at the time. She was another female Harris, another extra thicky thick girl. 
that we and her and I killed so much together. So much stuff. That's where Goten became the lord of all Deckers. That's where he ascended the throne within the few years that we were in St. Louis, catching hundreds of squirrels. Absolutely bonkers. Let me see. So I was in St. Louis for four years, four or five years. And then my friend got murdered. Let's go. Very good friend of mine. Not going to touch on that very much. Ben Rennick, a lot of people know the story. Ugh, it's real sad. If you don't, look up uh, Ben Rennick of Rennick Reptiles. Anyway, shortly after that, I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Kind of just needed to get away from things, if I'm being honest with you. I needed to get out of St. Louis. I needed a fresh start because I was in like this deep rut of depression. You know what I mean? Up until that point, never experienced it. And then I did. Like a bunch of a bunch of crazy stuff happened all at once. Like I was a lazy stoner piece of crap, to be completely honest with you. Daily cannabis use. You know, it wasn't no, it wasn't like recreational. No, like I would get home from work immediately. So I was a loser. So after that, I moved to New Mexico. That was a great time. Got my first Falcon. Crumbopolis Michael. Oh man, I miss that bird so much. We had so much fun together. He taught me what it was like to like ascend to the next level. Okay, so <laughs> that's a good way to put it. You know what I mean? So becoming a Super Saiyan within falconry is like akin to like your first, I wouldn't say a hundred, but like mm, probably like over 50 head of game season. Yeah, I would say that's Super Saiyan. That's that's the first one. Level one. And then once you take that next step, but like this is a Harris Hawk. Like, dude, if you flew, let me see. Let me do this math real quick. Jamie, can you pull this up for me? If you flew four times a week, catching times four times three, that's three months out of the year. That's 48. That's almost 50. If you hunt your bird for three months and you catch four things a week or like, you know, and that could be in three sessions. That could be in two. Two is lame. If you're going to get a Hawk, do not, fly two times a week. What are you, what are you, a mook? <laughs> Where's the friggin' gabagool? Anyway, probably once you pass 50 head, you know what I mean? And you could do that with a red tail. You could do that with a red tail and be an apprentice. You know, one of my friends, Yubi Guyberson, he did that first season. Definitely, I would say under my tutelage, I hunted with him almost every single time. Because we're roommates, you know what I mean? So, like, I'm not going to not go hunt with somebody I live with. Like, dude, let's go. Let's go fly, man. You know, even if it is a red tail, that's just my opinion. It's still cool. Red tails aren't that cool. But falcons are cooler. So, all that to say, once you ascend to that, I would say if you're staying with Parabutio or Butios, 100 head of game kill count is when you become an ascended Super Saiyan. Or you can call this Super Saiyan 2. But most people take that next step. They usually switch species to do that. It's like, it's kind of like a new coat of paint on something. Let's say this is a route a lot of people take, including myself. Red tail, first bird, Harris hawk, second bird. You know what I mean? And if they're really going to push it to the limit, they're probably going to push even harder with that next bird. And especially if they've stayed in the same area, most people do. Most people don't move as much as I do. Freaking love it. I'm like a legit wanderlust, okay? Y'all just be talking about wanderlust. Y'all just be freaking, I go to Greece. I go to Ibiza. That's not wanderlust, Tiffany. (laughs) Anyway, I crack myself up. 
So if you stay in the same place, you know, and you, you slap a new coat of paint on it, by that time, usually you have a whole bunch of new fields or not new fields. You have a bunch of um, places that you hunt that you can rotate, you know? And so it's a lot easier for them with that new bird. They also make less mistakes with that new bird that they made with their first bird. Dude, tell you what, almost every single year of falconry that I've had in over 10 years of it, the next year, I'm like vastly better. And it's still increasing by this level. I don't know how it's going to go with my Merlin this year. I probably will be better. I just started getting him out. Um, latest update... We are now free flying. Today was his third day free flying. No catches, but he's still very out of shape. You know, I can see by his wing beat, it's real quick and kind of shallow and real butterfly. Ugh. You know, that's just how they start when they're out of shape. The What I left him as was like this high flying, crazy son of a gun with just this insane wing beat, just commanded the sky, dude. Everything, every little tiny little sparrow, little brown jobber below him, beware. Anyway, it takes time. These things takes time. So I've ran 20 miles before, multiple times in one outing. And that's the last, I think the last mile of both of those two 20 miles, I had to walk the last mile because my knee hurt so much. And so part of running these distances is getting your body in shape. And, you know, I say all that to say when I ran those 20 miles, I had only been like consistently running. I started in COVID March to uh, July or February to like July, I think is when I attempted those 20s. And so that is not even six months of training and my body was not ready for it. Anyway, so I say all that to say, even though I could do those 20s, I could not do those 20s next week after just a week of training, which, you know, for the human body would be, you know, I would do like a three, a three, a six, six within about a week. I could probably do that. No problem. But what I'm asking of the Merlin to throw down as awesome as he did at the end of the season last year, that's a lot. This stuff takes weeks. My Merlin mentor, Keith, he's got a, a couple-year-old Blue Jack. And I think he's been on the wing for like three weeks. And he's kind of finally starting to get around to you know that mode where they just dominate the sky. They just command the air. Everything fears them, little birds, beware. That was a good rhyme. Proud of myself. So we're on day three today. We're kind of making our way downtown. So back to the origin story. So I moved to Albuquerque, got my first Falcon. And so that season, I would say that I ascended. I became Super Saiyan 2, you know what I mean? And then so for a lot of people, when they take that next step, right? And they could take this as generals, you know what I mean? As their second bird, usually it's a few birds in when somebody like takes the next step. And when I think of the next step, it's excipitors or Falcons, you know, those are like next level difficulty compared to Budios and Parabudios. So I became an ascended Super Saiyan when Krombopolis Michael and I just started slaying. And it was, it was like, you know, low. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this because I had such a blast. I couldn't care less. We chased pigeons around just like a couple of books, like, <laughs> like tail chasing. My grandpa was said he wouldn't even like acknowledge it as real falconry because we were just tail chasing 
pigeons and doves and smoking them off of high rises. It's just dumb. You know, it was just lame. It was, it wasn't highfalutin falconry as I've heard, but like what I practice now is most certainly highfalutin falconry. Tell you what, man, Merlin's are the real freaking deal. I'll probably do a deep dive on them in my other podcast. What? What, dude? That's coming out when I get <laughs> when I kind of get this underway and I get real good at this and stick to my schedule for the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Also I'll drop in the next installment in my creation. Pretty stoked for that. Anyway, let me see. So Albuquerque flew two birds with one stone, flew a Oplomato and Impernoplomato and a Geroplomato. And I was only in Albuquerque for a year. I was babysitting it until Nikki and Tyler Sladen had their baby, little Falco, the little Falconator, little bacon pancakes. So they had their baby, waited about a month or so, and then they moved down. And I was just kind of babysitting the territory for them. And then by that point, we had picked another spot for me to locate to. And then I moved to the great and wonderful Reno, Nevada. Oh, I love Reno. And so now I kind of bounce back and forth between a couple of offices that we have up here, Reno and Sacramento. I'm actually going to be looking for, or I am looking for a new employee up here. I'm going to be training up a new dude tomorrow. Pretty stoked for that. We'll see how that goes. Once the TV show pops off and Sacramento is like really cranking, I'm going to be able to step away, focus on like podcasting and media work for the company full time. Pretty stoked about that. Traveling and doing the show and doing like guest appearances and stuff like that. Freaking stoked on that. That is the, that's probably about the two year plan. That's right around season two time when like I'll get a new guy and he'll be like a solid over a year of steady full-time work. He'll have worked for us for full-time for over a year and he would be comfortable running a route by himself. That's kind of about what it takes. Hopefully, you know, I'm trying to do my best to become a better leader. It's a long journey. I wasn't a natural born leader. I got to learn this stuff, you know? So that's kind of where we're at right now. Just a quick backstory of the life within Wildlife Command Center of myself, Christopher Starr. Thanks again for listening to this, guys. And oh man, I can't wait for you guys to start hearing Michael Baran Mondays that we have loaded up for the next few weeks for you guys. Dude, check it out. And if you have wildlife issues that need resolution in our main location, St. Louis, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, Little Rock, Arkansas, Dallas, Texas, Reno, Nevada, Sacramento, California, or Albuquerque, New Mexico. Anyway, if you have a wildlife issue in any of those locations, please give us a call. Give us a shout. We'll handle it all for you guys. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Chris Star Saturdays with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Me, Chris, mother flipping star. Thanks again, guys. Have a good one. Until next time, God bless. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, aka Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus, download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.